Do please be seated as we listen to the third and final reading. From Luke 23, verses 26 to 43. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the women that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the trees are green, what will happen when, the, when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So having looked at the scandal of the cross and the beauty of the cross, the title for this final uh, reflection is Redemption Through the Cross. And to me, it's all expressed in that short but awesome conversation between the criminal and Jesus, where he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It is redemption through the cross. And what we see characterizing genuine redemption in this passage are two things really that I want to dig into with you. Firstly, what we see is genuine heartfelt repentance. And secondly, a deep recognition of Jesus' power to forgive. So firstly, genuine 
and deep heartfelt repentance. Now, this isn't an easy thing for me to get up and speak about because repentance is probably the least sexy concept in the Christian vocabulary. As one theologian sarcastically put it, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. But repentance is one of the most crucial expressions of true knowledge of God in the Bible. And whenever there is a great move of God's spirit as well, actually, you can see this again and again in church history, there is always an accompanying wave of repentance that comes with that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People who see the beautiful holiness of Jesus, his overwhelming mercy as he dies on the cross, and who see right alongside that their own utter unworthiness and who cry out to him like the thief on the cross did and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom, have mercy on me which of course he loves to do. And this is something that we can actually look out for and pray for. It's a litmus test, as it were, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that God would cause a wave of deep repentance to sweep over us, our church community, and this city. So let's look at it a bit more. In verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Use your power, he's saying. Use your power to, uh, to get out of this. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? That's a great question, isn't it? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So notice here the insight this criminal gives us into what authentic repentance looks like. And the first thing authentic repentance looks like is owning what you've done. He says, we are punished justly, the criminal says, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. There's no evasions here, is there? There's no rationalizations or distractions or excuses or blaming or running away in this man's heart. God has done a miracle in this man. So much so that he owns what he has done. And this is just so important. Taking responsibility and owning the wrong that we've done goes against everything in our nature It goes against everything the world tells us to be and to do. And it just, but it is the only road to life. And where is God, as you think of the cross, as you see Christ crucified, where is God calling you and I to own what we have done and to cry out for his mercy afresh? And the thing I really don't want you to forget, though, as I say that, is that mercy is something that God loves to give. One of my favorite quotes is by Charles Spurgeon when he says, God loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. God loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. And that's so evident, isn't it, by Jesus' awesome and kind and gracious response. The criminal says, 
Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Or back in verse 34, even the people who aren't acknowledging their wrongdoing, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And that's another facet, another glorious thing about the cross, because it publicly displays for everybody to see beyond any doubt how much God loves to forgive the cost of him to forgive, but how much he is committed to forgive. So this is not something we need to twist God's arm into doing. It's in the deepest part of his character to forgive and to show mercy to unworthy people like you and I. And in this miraculous redemption of this criminal crucified with Jesus, we see that electric combination of owning what he has done and entrusting himself to Jesus' mercy. And it is the only right response to Good Friday. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. But how is God calling you and I to own what we've done and to receive the forgiveness of Jesus? And the promise of the cross is so clear in this as well, isn't it? Today you will be with me in paradise, he says to the thief on the cross it's, and while, you know, it's unlikely to be today for us, it is the same promise, that, uh, that promise of new creation in which there's no tears and no war and no disease and no sin. That's what Jesus promises to this dying criminal in the worst moment of his life. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's amazing grace, isn't it? And while it's probably not going to be today for us, the promise of Jesus is the same. You will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. This is where I think some preaching on Good Friday can really get it wrong sometimes. Uh, on Good Friday... Uh, you know, there's some people who almost think we've got to come on Good Friday and be depressed and full of despair because it's the cross and there's death and it's just so bad. And I can understand in a way why people say that, but I also think it's very badly mistaken. And I think it's quite right that we call it Good Friday because it is truly good what Jesus did. And that's because Jesus died in my place and in your place, that Jesus bore in himself the curse of sin and death so that he could say by his spirit to all of his children, to all who genuinely trust him, you will be with me in paradise. And that is unbelievably and incomprehensibly good news. Or as he says in the Gospel of John, right before his final breath, it is finished. 
We've explored together the scandal of the cross, the beauty of the cross and the redemption of the cross. And as I finish, I want to read to you a beautiful um, sonnet by a poet. I would highly recommend him if you want to look him up called Malcolm Geit. Um, And this particular one is called Crucifixion. I'm going to read that now and then slightly different to what we've been doing. We'll then go straight into another two minutes um, of silence, um, a piece of music, and then um, uh, we'll have a final hymn and a final blessing. But this is uh, what Malcolm Geit says. See as they strip the robe from off his back and spread his arms and nail them to the cross. The dark nails pierce him and the sky turns black and love is firmly fastened onto loss. But here a pure change happens. On this tree, loss becomes gain. Death opens into birth. Here, wounding heals and fastening makes free. Earth breathes in heaven, heaven roots in earth. And here we see the length, the breadth, the height, where love and hatred meet and love stays true. Where sin meets grace and darkness turns to light, we see what love can bear and be and do. And here our Saviour calls us to his side. His love is free. His arms are open wide. And Father, we do uh, want to thank you for the redemption that we have through the cross. And we want to ask that by your Spirit, you would give us a deeper repentance that we might know a sweeter intimacy with you in prayer, that we would be more electrified by your grace and that we might know more of your power to save. In Jesus' name, amen.